Great to see you all today. Um, say happy Father's Day to all the dads. And uh, my dad is here. It's pretty cool. Happy Father's Day, Dad. And uh, I get to be a dad. And so uh, I just want to say I love being a dad. And, and uh, it's, uh, I, uh, my hope is for all of you who are dads, you have a great day today. What we believe about humanity and salvation. This is part two of where we were last week. And uh, so we're going to dive into what we believe about salvation. And uh, I'm going to begin with this. I, I'm, I'm really a nerd when it comes to the story of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> a total geek, I promise you, I am. I think Peter Jackson did a great job as a director when he, when he created the movies because I think the characters he created really represented what I saw in my head when I read the books. He did a great job with that. And the last one, the, the third movie, The Return of the King, I left the theater. I thought it was one of the greatest movies I ever saw in my life, just the way he did it and the whole thing. Um, and the first group of films really are really extraordinary, but the films, however, still fall way short of the books. They do. Uh, I love those books. And there are two chapters that I've read over and over and over again. Uh, I still do, and my wife probably thinks I'm crazy because I, I keep this. I, I just, every now and again, I will go back and I will just read these two chapters. I've read them more times than I can remember. And it's the part of the story where these adventurers become trapped on all sides by this giant horde of monsters and goblins and trolls and this giant, ugly dragon-looking thing that's crazy. Uh, it's, I love that part of the story, and, and one is not really sure if they're ever going to get out alive. This is the part of the story where this traveling company, they have to wake, make their way underneath the mountains, and they spend four days traveling under the mountains to get to the other side. And toward the end of this four-day trek through these elaborate silver mines that have been abandoned by these thousands of dwarves, years before, they discover the tomb of, of the dwarf king and an old dusty journal that's there. I sound like a nerd yet? Yeah, totally. Deal with it. <laughs> now, one of the best paragraphs in the entire book, if you ask me, is the part where the wizard, Gandalf, is reading from this journal in this old tomb where the dwarves had been trapped years before. I'll never forget the first time I read this paragraph. They were all about to perish at the hands of the enemy, and they read this journal, and this is what the wizard says. He's reading from this old book. It is grim reading, the wizard said. I fear their end was very cruel. Listen, as I read, we cannot get out. We cannot get out. They have taken the bridge in the second hall. We cannot get out. The end comes and then drums, drums in the deep. The last thing written it is, in a is in a trailing scrawl of elf letters. They are coming, and there's nothing more. The wizard paused and stood in silent thought. And a sudden dread and horror of the chamber fell on all of the company. We cannot get out. We cannot get out. Death is coming for us all, folks. Peril is at the door, my friends, and the monsters and goblins and trolls are at the door. The tomb within which we find ourselves is the world, and the world is dying. Media and music is so sexualized these days in our culture it has become it has made us numb to the level of sexual objectification with which we treat our women. We make them objects. We've made them objects. Our young girls have become objects. Children stumble into adulthood confusing love for sex, and fatherless sons turn our girls into baby mamas. And fatherless daughters let them because it's the only substitute they know for genuine affirmation and care to become an object of pleasure. I watched the celebration of babies being born into no marriage, no home, no stability, no dad, and no husband. 
kids roam the halls of our schools and through passive social media or overt acts of aggression, our kids tear each other apart with cowardly, bullying words and harmful, sometimes fatal actions. There's been a gun incident in a public place roughly every seven days since the Sandy Hook shooting. Designer drugs such as spice and meth and ecstasy and molly will be found in the vehicles and lockers of students at my kids' school this fall. Weed is like candy. It's not if kids are smoking, it's how much, when, and where. Alcohol and prescription drugs at school functions, the norm. Young men hang themselves. Young girls starve themselves to look pretty and cut themselves to endure emotional trauma. We are a culture with more money to burn than any nation that has ever existed, and I have lost count of the commercials that I see for antidepressants and sleep aids and a hundred other medications that can be traced back to our eating habits, our behavior patterns, and our addiction to technology. We are being ripped apart by isolation, wealth, addictions, and distractions. We cannot get out. They're coming. We cannot get out. War is upon us. The world has not been okay for a long time. In biblical days, our babies were sacrificed to pagan islands, idols. Today, we sacrifice our babies on the altar of our childish right to be happy and to do whatever we want. We allow a broken education system and smartphones to teach our children, and we are still letting our babies die while we go to work, to the gym, to the next party, or the next marriage. We are wounded in human, human doings. That's what we've become. And we're wondering what we become when we get old. Last week we talked about the nature of humanity. We are each made one of a kind. We are made on purpose for a purpose. This was my outline from last week, and so here's the cliff notes. All right? We are made by God to be with God. We are made by God to be with other people. I'm going to read those again. We are made one of a kind, each of us in this room. We are made on purpose for a purpose. We are made by God to be with God. And we're made by God to be with others. Today is part two, what we believe about salvation. There isn't one person here who can sanely believe that we don't need salvation from the imminent death all around us. What happened? What is the cause of us continuing to, to exist in this collective nightmare that is a human existence? Because it is, even at its best. I don't want to be all dark, man. I was scared to death to read all that stuff this morning coming in here. But it's true. What are we going to do? Close our eyes and pretend it's not there? My kids will tell you we were driving home yesterday and I'm flipping out because we're on the brink of yet again and us some other conflict in some other country. We've got to be honest. Existence in this world is a mere study in survival and toleration of mass chaos. It just is. A lot more about that than real togetherness in life as God's people. That's what we're made for. So what do we believe about salvation? What is going to be our salvation? What is our way out? Because there is one. Are we destined to live in the end, to the end of our days like dogs, like we just die? If all those things from last week describe what is supposed to be real for us as human beings, how do we do that? How are we saved from destruction and death? How are we saved from ourselves? How do we become what God intended us to be? 
How do we join ourselves to him and experience the life the scriptures promise in the life and spirit of Jesus Christ? That's the only way out, see? So let me tell you what happened. I'm going to tell you what happened to us. And then I have four points that I really hope describe what the Bible says about salvation. Generally, we have to understand, and I hope you really listen close here, because I've spent literally about five or six years letting this sink into me, this, this group of truths right here. We have to understand sitting in this room today that our chief and primary problem is not behavior. It's not disobedience. It's refusal. The primary problem is refusal. Refusal is at the center of every sin and transgression, act of disobedience, selfishness, bitterness, envy, strife, grudge holding, all this stuff that goes on. Refusal is at the center of it. Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I'm going to tell you where it all started. If you go all the way back to Genesis 3, it's the story of Adam and Eve. How many of you have heard the story of Adam and Eve? Raise your hand. I know I've talked about it here. Okay, You've heard about it. The first couple. Watch this. Lucifer comes along and he deceives Adam's wife with a question about God's motives. That's what it was about. Did God really say? And Eve engages in this conversation that was reserved for her spineless husband who's standing right next to her. Uh-huh. And he's saying nothing. Eve, the very first control freak, <laughs> steps in and thinks about Lucifer's question. Already in trouble. She thinks about Lucifer's question about God holding out on them and not wanting them to be as intelligent as himself. She thinks about a solution to the dilemma and decides for both of them. Hmm. And there's Adam standing there like a frozen tuna. So she eats of the forbidden fruit and she gives some to Adam. And then he thinks about a solution about how to hide their sin. And he fashions, and I'm not kidding you, he fashions poisonous clothes to cover themselves up with. Did you know figs, fig leaves are really poison? They're like poison ivy. It's in the Bible. Talk about denial. Hey, that'll work. Let's make poisonous clothes. And then what does he do? God comes along, he says, where are you? And Adam goes, she did it. And rather than just own it and trust that God would be merciful and gracious, would forgive them even through appropriate consequence, what do they do? They duck the issue and they lie about their situation and they earn themselves a ticket out of God's provision. Ironically, that place where all this conflict is taking place is the Garden of Eden. It's right between those two rivers that are mentioned over in Iraq right now. It's a big desert over there. Oil doesn't come from dirt. It comes from lush vegetation. Think about it. So they left the garden, and there it is. Refusal started the whole thing, see? Refusal to believe in the character and mercy and gentleness and grace of God who created them. And the woman's curse is that she will forever want to control everything in her circle of influence to get power and position rather than recognize, listen, ladies, here's your role. This is, the way, this is how God's made you. That's what I love about you. It's your God-given design to be the counsel and breath of God in relationships, to be wisdom. That's your design. But it wasn't enough, see? What's the man's curse? 
He's going to constantly fight the temptation to shut down an apathy and walk away from his God-given destiny. Gentlemen, here's your destiny. To be a protector and a provider and a culture keeper in relationships. To be a warrior. It's the way God made you. You have no idea what we're worth. No clue. So today, single moms outnumber single dads at least five to one. Because Eve is still holding everything down out of a sense of one of three things. Either grandiosity, resignation, or necessity. And what's Adam doing? He's washing his hands of his God-given destiny and leaving home because he's convinced he's worthless and he's lost what it means to be a real man. If that is not a scathing commentary on our culture today, we're not paying attention. That story was written 4,500 years ago. Things have changed very little. So my point is, the primary problem with humanity is the refusal that lies under our actions. It's the refusal that lies underneath our disobedience. See, behavior is just the tip of the iceberg. Refusal is a silent sleeping dragon underneath everything else. And so you ask, so what? So what's the big deal? Well, the Scriptures say that the wages of sin is what, if you know? Death. The wages of refusal, denial, and all this other stuff is death. You live in a world today that is a stark, blistering statement of where refusal leads. It's from manipulation, extortion, division, and death. I talk all the time about self-evident truth. Read the news this morning. They put divorce and mortality statistics against... You know, right next to the story about whatever the Kardashians are doing. What? A All right. We can't get out. The monster's coming. We can't get out. Well, here's the cool thing. You and I are invited out. We are. We are invited out. We are not going to stem the tide of sin and refusal in this world, folks. It's not going to happen. Not on our own efforts. That's a God-sized issue. But God has given us a way to live in the middle of this, to have us, to have ourselves, and to have life with him and others right here. So I'm going to show you the hidden road to Jesus today. It is narrow. And it's dangerous finding him. Allowing him to find us is actually the truth. It's going to cost you. Anybody that ever told you following Jesus is easy is they're smoking weed. <laughs> it's not easy. It's going to cost you. It might cost you everything you think is important. And not many are going to find it. But you can. Got to recognize, first of all, salvation's first of all, it's about recognition. Salvation's first of all about recognition. I can't do this. Jesus said, come to me, all you are tired and burdened, and I will give you rest. We're not going to ask for help, not even from God, unless we recognize our need for it, folks. No way. I want to show you a couple guys. I want to tell you before I show you these pictures that this is right straight off where I come from, Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll talk about lack of recognition. Let's show them the first one, Nate. 
this is a guy that's, that's suspended a, a, a riding lawnmower from a crane to hit the top of the hedge. That's a lack of recognition. Clearly does not understand how many ways there are to die doing that. Can't see the threat, see? Not going to ask for help. Lack of recognition. Here's another one. Just take a good, long look. See, my dad's a structural welder. What do you think, Dad? That's going to work. How many ways can you die in that picture right there? <laughs> Lack of recognition. Hey, if you were you know, a young boy, I don't know, maybe if you are a young girl, you did this. I jumped out of a tree with a towel as a parachute once. Lack of recognition. I lit a match in front of a can of hairspray. Have you ever done that? Into a bowl of Coleman fuel. A white-hot flash, and no eyebrows later, I recognized I possessed a deep lack of recognition. Man, messing around with an old 12-gauge shotgun, that thing went off and literally almost took my head off. It almost killed me. Lack of recognition. I caught hypothermia, 35 degrees below zero. Didn't, I didn't know you were supposed to keep drinking water because every time you breathe out and weather that cold, if you're working, you can die, and you never get cold. You just shut off. Took a couple few days to get over that. Lack of recognition. Won't ask for help. Won't ask for advice. See the thing here? Got to understand. We will not ask for help unless we recognize our need for it. I work with lots of people who come into my office every week and are beset with all kinds of problems, addictions and all kinds of different things. It's not just addictive behavior. And they recognize they have a problem, and they come to me for counsel. And the one, th one of the things, especially with addictive types of stuff, and by the way, I believe we are all addicts. Substitute it for idolatry. Whatever you have to do to not feel. Control your own life. Congratulations, you're an addict. Okay? All right. You're an idolater. You need Jesus. You just do. So I ask people, I say, okay, you know, your reason why that thing you go to, whatever it is you go to to not feel, you know, what, you know why it's so hard to kick it? Because it works. It works. We're kidding ourselves. If somebody sits down and they're feeling good all the time because of whatever it is they're going to, try to convince them they shouldn't. It works. Very hard to ask for help when you've got a solution that's right in front of you right? But it never lasts, and it always asks for more. But for the moment, the alcohol or the drugs or the media or the food or the sex or the Instagram or the Twitter or the blah, 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 whatever, it, it, it doesn't stop asking for more, and it's never quite enough. I asked a dude one time, I said, what's the deal with cocaine, man? I've never tried it. I've seen it once, but I never... What's the deal? He says, you hit it once about 7 p.m., and you spend the next 14 hours trying to hit that first time again, and you spend thousands trying to get there. It just takes. But hey, for the moment, I don't know how to feel anything if I do this. Don't need anybody's help if I, you know, I don't have to, I don't need help to cope with this if I've got this. It doesn't have to be a substance. It can be a behavior. It can be anything. Don't recognize our need for help. And if we get, if we get stuck inventing a perfect solution to being happy, we're going to continue to be blind to our need for help. We're not going to ask for it. We just stay in the trap of believing that if we figure it out, we can get out. We'll get out of what, you might ask? Feeling dead? Feeling like there's no end? Feeling like life's a big blur? 
arguing with, with God and yourself about your own value as a human being? The list goes on. We keep trying to cover up the pain of our past. We, here's one. We keep trying to perform to be good enough. That's exhausting. We believe we're less than, and we have to work really hard to get someone's approval. So we've got to recognize our need for help. But we're not going to ask for it. Secondly, salvation is about rigorous honesty. Ugh. I don't like that. Another term for rigorous honesty is confession. 1 John 1.9, 1, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's not a lot of ambiguity in that. Rigorous honesty. Here's what it sounds like. What are the devices I use to control my own life and prevent myself from being afraid? What are the secrets that I keep about me? And I'm not just talking about doing the bad stuff. What are the secrets I keep about me with regard to my own value? What's the story I tell myself about my own lack of value? How worthless I am? What a piece of garbage I am? All that stuff. We, see, we harm ourselves by believing that we don't have anything good to offer other people. And we become our own God, see? Rigorous honesty. How do I manipulate people? Oh, man. How do I control people to get their affirmation? How do I work people to get a compliment? Please tell me you understand what I'm talking about. Working people to get a compliment. My aunt is an amazing cook. It's been a long time since I've eaten her cooking, but that was 30 years ago. I still remember it. She'd, she'd cooked vegetables she'd picked from her own garden, and she'd make a roast beef, and they'd butchered their own beef. They raised it themselves. They lived on a ranch. She'd, she'd serve, at, for, di- for dessert, it'd be chocolate cake that she made by, from scratch about 15 minutes before the meal. I mean, homemade bread and then the jelly that she made from the apples from the back. I mean, come on. You can't mess that up. Like, that's just... And the whole family would sit down to this amazing spread, and then she'd say, <laughs> she'd say this. She'd say, well, I know it's not much. Man, she's trolling us for a compliment, see? Now, pay attention to how much you do that. This week... If you don't do anything else today, just pay attention to how much you're just reeling people in all the time. Working it, playing little games. There's a great scripture in Proverbs 6. It says, this is talking about a guy who's manipulative, but we all do this. He winks with his eyes and he shuffles his feet and points with his fingers. There's his hand signals and all this stuff. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. Can't see himself. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity will come upon him suddenly, and suddenly he will be broken without remedy. Wow. Rigorous honesty has to do with telling the truth about anything we do to stay away from who we really are. And that stuff keeps us isolated and away from a real relationship. Those games keep us from being a real friend. Those maneuvers to get affirmation or cheat people out of anything result in calamity and chaos. We lose in the end. First John says as well that if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. Got to tell the truth. I have to have the courage to tell the truth about what's really going on inside of me. If I do that, I have the hope of real relationship with God and other people. Got to recognize my need for help. 
and I have to commit to a process of rigorous honesty. What's my truth? That's the beginning of salvation. So I ask you, what's the truth you need to tell about you today? Third point, salvation is about repentance. Salvation is about repentance. Luke 13 says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. I love that. Not a lot of layers on that. Repent or perish. I begin to practice rigorous honesty after I recognize my need for help, and then what? Got to repent. All that means is you got to turn around and go the other way. That's all it means. Do something different. Turn around and go the other way. Stop throwing the same levers and pressing the same buttons and turning the same knobs, expecting different results, because that's insane. If you find yourself shifting from one relationship to another, a friendship or a romance, if you're jumping around, stop jumping around. Find one person you can trust and ask them what it's like to be with you. (laughs) Yeah, you might need it. If just about every time you get in a fight with your spouse and it escalates to chaos and you realize that generally the only time that happens is when you've all been drinking, tell you what, if you tend to rage and scream and yell every time you get scared or don't get your way, good time to start asking honest questions about what you're really afraid of, afraid of not being enough or afraid of losing your power afraid of losing your identity and afraid that nobody cares, afraid you don't matter. You've got you to do this yourself. It's your story. If people are around you, if, a, if people around you are telling you in a moment of honesty that you tend to suck all the emotional energy out of the room relationally and that you're kind of a boat anchor emotionally, it's a good time to begin examining how you draw people into relationships so that they can just carry your problems for you. It's called self-pity, and you might have some losses to talk about so you can accept it, and then they'll carry it with you. That's what real grief is. Repent, turn around, go the other way, go a different direction. Cease the practice of trying to possess your relational cake and eat it too. And you discover the freedom that can be found in admission and vulnerability. Admission and vulnerability. It's hard. It hurts. It sucks. It's painful. But we got to do it, see? It's repentance. Great freedom. It's your path back to being a human being, not a human doing. We do a lot to make everybody else's life miserable, don't we? I did. I do. Freeing revelations in my life to recognize that I was the common denominator in a lot of my problems. <laughs> oh, it's me! <laughs> Repent, turn around and go the other way. Now listen very carefully because all that stuff, these first three points don't matter. They don't flush it and go on. Forget you ever heard it without this last one. Okay, don't show them yet. None of this works without the, without the next five minutes of this message. None of it. It's just, it's, you see this all the time in the world. It's, it's self-help books or whatever, okay? You could do all of that without what I'm about to say. You could do this. Okay, I'm pointing here because I can see it. That, okay? 
Because here's the fourth thing we have to understand about salvation, and none of it works without this. Salvation is about releasing control to Jesus Christ. Releasing control. Jesus, you have my life. Now this is where it gets squirrely because nothing I say in the next five minutes can convince you of the truth. I can't do it. I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't, that nothing I do can make you receive Christ. And so you might be sitting there, I don't know what that guy's talking about, but I know I can't see the truth about me and, and it's foggy. I know I do stuff to keep everyone away from me. I know that I do want to turn around and walk the other way and change all that, but it seems so unbelievably impossible. Well, here's the answer. I wish it was more complicated. Release control to Jesus. You've got to turn a life over to the Lordship of Christ. He's got to be the Lord of it all, or if He's not the Lord of any of it. The Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be saved none of it works without jesus why you guys can come up if you want greg thanks got to go back to what we believe about humanity it's what we talked about last week if we're created as unique individuals if we're created with a destiny and a purpose and i believe we all are if we believe that it is God who knit us together in our mother's wombs, and if we believe that there's a problem that has divided us from God and that only God can save us, if all that stuff is true, then according to the Scriptures, we have to embrace surrender to Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead is the only way to be reconnected to the God who made us. It's the only way. That's the part of me talking that, that it has to take on a God dimension. There's a part of this where we just, we just release control and we just say, I, I don't know, but God, if you're there, I'm yours. Got to give your life over to the Lordship of Jesus. It's the only way to live in this life and in the life to come. And Jesus says about himself, I'm the gate. Got to go through me to get to the Father. Got to go through me to get to the kingdom. Got to go through me to get to heaven. There is no other way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the bread of life. I am the word of life. I'm the answer. I'm the solution. He said it all. He says, I'm the shepherd. He says, my sheep, I love this, love this verse. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. This stuff, if this stuff is resonating as, tr as true in your soul, if it's bothering you to the point of having more questions than answers, I'm here to tell you it might not be me talking. It may be the Spirit of God saying, okay, come on. I'm inviting you out. I'm the way out. He might be drawing you into a place of His saving grace, His life, and His freedom. So here's the truth. Where the problem is refusal, what's the promise? Redemption. Where the problem is refusal, the promise is redemption. And what does that mean? Your life's different. I mentioned this a while back, that a guy uh, 
came up to me after a service about two years ago. And he was a scholar who had been all over the world. And uh, he said, how do you know this Jesus stuff is real? Like, I've, I've been all over the world. I can quote the Koran. I can quote a bunch of other religions. He took notes. He had stuff written in different languages. I got so scared. Because <laughs> I had just preached the message. And he, and he came up to me and he said, how do you know this Jesus stuff is real? And before I was thinking, and some of you heard this story, before I was thinking, before I thought about it, I just looked at him and I said, there's change that's taken place in my life that I can't account for by my own efforts. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not powerful enough. It's just, it's got to be something else besides me because I'm just not that capable to, to create the kind of change that's taken in place in me. I want different things. I'm not done. People close to me will tell you I'm anything but perfect. But man, I want something different. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to invite Greg to take over here. And I want to encourage you with this, that this is not about being smart. It's, it's not about being strong. It's, it's not about thinking about it or figuring it out. It's about just recognizing need and having enough, enough stuff inside of you to tell the truth, to practice a little bit of rigorous honesty, to make a decision to turn a different way. And it's, it may not change overnight for you, and that's okay. Maybe change the stuff that's... Maybe change the one big thing a little bit. But then ultimately, it... It's about just saying, Jesus, I don't know you. I don't understand. I don't get it. But I want to know more. And he'll do the rest. You'll start hearing stuff in your head that's just, where did that come from? He will find you. I do not have to bolster God's reputation here. I don't have to make him bigger. He'll do the rest. If you just give your life to him. If you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm just telling you, there's another why in the road. There's a deeper dimension to it. There's more to learn. It's infinite. It really is. At least that's what I'm seeing. I, every, time I, every time I cross a frontier, I get to the end of it, and I go, man, there's more. It really is. I love that.